the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. We take the issues of the day and talk about them from a Christian perspective. This time of year is when the Supreme Court, the Supremes as I like to call them, make their final decisions on cases that have been in front of them. There are some that are very, very uh, important and or that will be impactful and talked about maybe for a long time. And uh, some of those will be decided tomorrow. A couple of them today we talked about in the last hour, uh, the postal worker, Christian postal worker, who wanted Sundays off, and uh, they agreed with him. Biggest case of the day, though, of course, is the affirmative action case that said that Harvard and uh, University, I think, of North Carolina cannot use affirmative action as the determinative factor um, when admitting students. Here is a brief uh, news update from Shannon Breen. He says both Harvard and UNC. So This is uh, Justice Roberts, who wrote for the majority. It was a 6-3 decision. He says both Harvard and UNC. So again, you've got a public and a private school, but both take federal money. Um, both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race anywhere in their admissions process, um, that they're unavoidably employing race in a negative manner involving racial stereotyping. That's what these Asian American students had alleged and lack meaningful endpoints. We've never permitted admissions programs to work in that way, and we will not do so today. They do go on to say, though, at the same time, as all parties agree, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her, her life through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. So these uh, essays that the students will write, um, possible students, the applicants will write, talking about what their experience has been. The court says, you know, we're not going to rule that out. Of course, people can have to discussions about what led them to this point in their life, whatever that is. Um, They go on to say a benefit to a student who overcame racial discrimination, for example, must be tied to that student's courage and determination Mm -hmm. or benefit to a student whose heritage or culture motivated him or her to assume leadership positions, those kinds of things. So basically they say... um, the, the universities have too long done the opposite. They've used an array, race in a way that's actually hurt other races. They've concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an identity's uh, individual's identity is not challenges, bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but only the color of their skin. And our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. All right. So that is part of the uh, the. Uh, Justice Chief Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, a majority view on the question. So the interesting thing here, and I think that you've probably, if you're into you know talk radio or you pay attention to news all day, you've heard a lot of different angles and different things, and it's a 250-page uh, decision. So there's a lot of nuance in there. There's a lot of things going on that people, I think, are going to have to digest for a couple of days. And, um, you know, one of the things I think that is interesting to me as I've thought about it is often when we're having a conversation about race, which I don't think we do very well at these days for various reasons, um, we're often thinking about white and black issues. 
But we are here in this case, this had a lot more to do with Asian American issues or uh, Indian American issues. Um, and we're a organization uh, who brought this suit. We're br- bringing it uh, mostly on behalf of Asian Americans who felt like in, at Harvard and the University of North Carolina that they were not being admitted into the school um, and their race was being used as a negative, meaning that that the reason they weren't um, accepted into the school is because they are Asian. So you can see it's just it's moved things a little bit differently. So affirmative action ultimately what the idea was with this is that if you have two equal candidates for a job or for uh, admission into a college, then you can consider race and you can say and the idea was super important because you know after the civil war when the 14th amendment came out one of the problems was okay black people are freed now and they're no longer enslaved but people weren't hiring them and you know if you are saying okay i have 10 applicants and nine of them are white back then and one of them is black and they're all equally qualified, well, you might just pick the white person every time and you're doing it maybe deliberately or you're not even thinking about it. And people said, you know what, we have to make companies and we have to make schools pay attention to race because otherwise black people are never going to get a job. Because if it's just, even if we're talking about people who are equally qualified, and that was the idea of it. That was the thought that said, we have to actually pay attention here because otherwise people are going to be not allowed into the workforce, whether it's deliberate or just systemic, right? That just this is the way it is. And so it has been something that has worked pretty well for lots of people in different cases. But as things have grown, one of the arguments today in this court case is the idea It came from a group called Students for Fair Admissions. They argued that universities' admissions processes discriminated against primarily Asian-American applicants, and especially at Harvard, of all the schools. And what they were saying is that rather than a system that says, okay, we have all these equal candidates here, let's make sure that we're admitting uh, diff- people from different backgrounds and different races – they actually went another step and they said, we're going to deliberately vote against you or, or take away points towards your admissions if you're Asian. Um, that if you are Asian now, you no longer count toward this. And uh, so the idea was if you're an Asian person and you worked really hard to get straight A's and you scored 1600 on the SAT, what they found out is at Harvard is that a person who had done much less than you on the SAT or in school or other things, if you were in the 100th percentile as an Asian, you were less likely to get in than somebody who was in the 40th percentile on those figures and who is a African-American. And then other other ethnic minorities had a different number there in between. And the Supreme Court today said, no, you can't do that. You can't penalize people uh, because of their race. Now, the thing is that is interesting There's a lot of politics and there's a lot of reasons for all of that, you know, in the politics. But the Supreme Court also said that a school cannot uh, can certainly consider race when it comes to individuals who are applying for admission. So the idea here is this, is that whenever you're considering race, the Supreme Court is basically saying you can do it individually. You can't do it as just a a box that you check. So when you fill out an application somewhere, you know, usually there's something that asks you for your race, right? And uh, there are many options, and then there's other, and you can write it down if you're something that's not listed there. Um, What they're saying is that it's not enough to just check a box, that you have to make yourself part of a group, 
that you have to express how you have overcome adversity. And you can say because of your race, maybe you have experienced racism and uh, you have experienced discrimination. It's okay to say that. It's okay to write that in your essay. It's okay to say, hey, I'm a person who has uh, grown up in in this neighborhood and I had to deal with gangs and I had to deal with um, maybe single parent or I grew up with my grandparents and I had this loss and I suffered this violence and I suffered this discrimination. And here's where you can do that and the, and the schools still can say, okay, we're going to take this person over somebody else because of their story. So the Supremes are allowing that. And a lot of people say, well, the schools then are just going to take whatever's in the essay and do the same thing. But the Supremes basically are saying this, that rather than just approve one group over another, because you can check an ethnic box, we want the individualistic stories. And rooted in that is a lot of the difficulty and kind of the right and left. Because the left side of things in these arguments today say that, no, the groups matter, that even if you were particularly advantaged because you grew up and your parents were doctors and you made a lot, they made a lot of money and they went to school and you actually grew up in an affluent neighborhood, but you happen to be an ethnic minority, you – what's happening on the left way of thinking is, is that you have to still conform to everybody in that ethnic minority as if you had the same burdens growing up even though you personally didn't in your example. Um, So that would be the left way of looking at race today. On the right side of it, you have people who say, no, we shouldn't be giving special treatment to people who grew up wealthy just because they're an ethnic minority. And uh, but we should take a look at the individual who might have overcome obstacles. So it is a difference between do you judge people based upon the group that they're a part of or do you judge people based on an individual basis? And those arguments are actually pretty profound in the academic world. I haven't read it yet, but I have read a couple of summaries of the difference between Clarence Thomas, conservative justice Clarence Thomas, who's African-American on the Supreme Court, and Ketanji Brown, who is the newest member of the Supreme Court, who is a liberal justice, African-American justice. And if you read their two approaches to this, they're completely different. They are just completely different approach to race. And uh, I'm going to read some of that, but you're going to um, discover that there is a philosophical difference that the sides are coming at. And getting caught in between are people who aren't white or aren't African-American, but they're Asian or they are Hispanic or they're Latino or they are Indian or they have some other uh, background. And they're saying, hey, we're actually getting penalized because of our race because of these policies and the Supreme Court went that direction. It's important to realize, I think, that the conversation is very different and that the philosophies that are being debated back and forth have a lot more to do with group versus individualistic uh, things. My question for you is, what should be considered in the matter of justice, in the matter of, in the question of what is right? You know, what is the correct thing to do when we take the Bible and we say, well, the Bible does talk about not having partiality in a justice system, that that matters. And that's between rich and poor and people from different backgrounds and those kinds of things. But the Bible also has a lot to say about justice and oppression and how you lift up people who are oppressed. 
what is the right thing to do? This is a a question that is complicated, but I want to know what you think. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Justice Sotomayor gave the uh, dissent, and here is some of what she had to say in her dissent. Let me read you just a little bit from the dissent. This one is written by Justice Sotomayor. Um, she says, the court is standing in the way and rolling back decades of precedent and momentous progress. It holds race can no longer be used in a limited way in college admissions to achieve critical benefits. In holding so, the court cements a superficial role of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. When you get into the the differences in approach, it is pretty profound. And, you know, I come from uh, an opinion about some different things here. Uh, Number one, I think that in the Christian church, for example, we do a lousy job at having conversation uh, about race. We do a lousy job of talking to each other about race. I mean, think about it for a moment. Do you think that there are, that a a church that is mostly white, that's 10 minutes away from a church that's mostly black, do they do anything together? Do they understand the different burdens that they have? Have they, have do the pastors get together and have conversation? What I find is that actually, when we get together and have conversation in the church or even just in the community about these issues, if we can get past the the politics. There's a politic on the right and left about our side, and everything gets political, and it has nothing to do with solving an issue. But when you push that aside and you really have the conversations, I find that they are very productive. They're very hard sometimes because you have to realize that there are uh, people on both sides who have feelings or ideas that are wrong, that are racist, or that are, I would say, usually ignorant of what our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are going through or how they operate in church. And there are cultural differences that I think are fine, you know, but we have to realize that one day there's going to be, we're all going to be at the same table, uh, that the kingdom of God is everybody together. And there is a conversation that needs to be happened. Secondly, I also think that we're talking about race right now from the context of super higher education, Ivy League um, and, uh, you know, other schools. But the number of people we're talking about is actually a pretty small number of people. And I think that one of the biggest civil rights issues of our day is education in general, and especially grade school and high school education in general. That if you really want to talk about the disparities and the difficulties that are happening, the studies tell us that particularly people of color and mostly black people and Hispanic people, kids, are suffering tremendously today in our education system across the the country in most places, in areas of being able to read, in areas of being able to do math, in areas of many things that are part of education. And I think that is the one of the biggest crises that we have. The Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Governor of the state of Virginia, her name is Winsome Sears. She is uh, African-American. This is what her response was to the ruling today. And Martha, while we're playing these stupid games, I'm saying that education and the lack of it in America is risen to a national crisis. And the stupid games that she's talking about are a lot of the other things that we're hearing about so often in schools with the things that are happening with sex ed, uh, the things that are happening with all kinds of sort of agendas in different ways. But we're seeing the test scores of kids uh, get worse and worse and worse and worse. China is not playing these stupid games. China is interested 
and total world domination, and so is Russia and the rest of them. That's what we have to be concerned about. Our children are not learning. And in fact, when they do graduate from high school and decide to go on to college, Martha, more than 60% of them, according to the statistics, need remedial education that very first year. So you know how uh, the president is talking about getting rid of student loans? Well, then the children are having to stay one extra year in college based on loans that they've taken for work that they should have completed when they were in high school. Mm. So let's cut that and let's get to what the remedies are. And I'm pulling for school choice, school choice now. Our children are in need. So she's talking about a couple of different things there. One of them is that she's talking about school choice. And the idea is that every parent would actually have the ability to send their kid to whatever school they could choose. And whatever the tax dollars that would follow your kid into the public school now, you can take that and put them into another school, public school, private school, charter school, home school. You can start your own school. And what she's talking about with the student loans, which is something we'll probably talk about tomorrow, is that now you go to college and you spend your first year, sometimes two years, getting remedial classes, stuff that you should have learned in middle school and high school, how to read at a certain level, how to do math at a certain level, how to do basic critical thinking and writing and those things that we're not teaching to so many kids. And I remember that when I went to college, it was just beginning where we were. My year was the first year I went to UC Riverside and we were the first year where they made you test into math and test into English because there were too many kids coming out of high schools who couldn't do it. And we that was, as I recall, the first year that they had that. And now it might be multiple classes that you had. I mean, we had some classes that you had to test into for math that were like sixth grade math level that you would spend a year of your college and now you're paying for it in loans. Like back then it was less expensive, oddly enough. But today imagine that you got to spend $20,000 to learn all the stuff in a loan to learn all the stuff that you were supposed to learn in high school. That's also happening. I think this is a it's a massive crisis on every level. I think it does impact people of color more than anybody uh, across the country. And the numbers, the data support that. I think it is it is significant. So we're going to we're talking about affirmative action for Harvard and elite colleges. But I think the conversation needs to shift back to the civil rights issue that is education. What do you think about that? That's my opinion. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Jonathan in L.A., welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor Scott. It's an honor to speak to you, sir. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, I love the show, and I love that you give a biblical worldview on current issues of the day. Thank you. So my question or my comment today is basically that uh, you know, I studied uh, classical music theory in um, in homeschool. I studied it when I was 14. I studied it for 20 years. Um, and basically, the kids that were doing phenomenal academically, when I got to college, they were by and large um, the, the, the Asian students that were learning um, unbelievable, uh, difficult pieces that were written by these uh, masterful composers. Mm-hmm. And they could play just about anything that was ever written for the instrument. And I, back when I was going there, I when I went to school, I, I was really behind. I was learning, still learning how to read music. I was learning how to write music and stuff. But just one comment I'll make, I was taking a music course at a, at a college. And this professor was commenting on the Iraq war at the time. 
and he was commenting on it very negatively. I mean, very, he was very negative about the Bush administration and everything like that. So whatever class you're going to take at any any school, unfortunately, they're going to give you a worldview that's not necessarily a conservative or Christian or what have you. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about that and you had a classical education, do you feel like – Am I right that the education that we really ought to be talking about mostly, in particular, and I would say it's true for everybody, but I think it matters an awful lot for people who live in our inner cities who are usually black or uh, Latino, uh, people of color, uh, that this is a critical issue, including music education, including other things? Yeah, so, yes, I do happen to be a, a person of color. My mom came from Panama City in Central America, and she got her citizenship, and she saved a lot of money. Her family saved a lot of money to get her citizenship and uh, go to school here and learn about the, uh, the, uh, the American way and everything. And we and my dad was a blue-collar worker, and he uh, supported the family by working at a college, and he worked uh, 70 hours a week. And um, sometimes we, never, we didn't see him for a long time. And, uh, you know, we saved every penny we had so we can get an education or we could live in a safe neighborhood or we could, uh, you know, uh, enjoy things that were, you know, some of the finer things in life because we did have a mom and dad. Do you feel like, uh, I'm almost out of, I'm almost out of time. Do you feel like you benefited in any way from affirmative action, uh, plans and school or elsewhere? Uh, well, how would you define affirmative action? Well, if somebody made a decision to uh, include you, or you were more you were more uh, acceptable to get a loan, or to have uh, you know a student loan, or if you were accepted into a music school because of your race, uh, did you experience that, or you you may not even know honestly? So my answer to that belief, right? I believe that the metric is still based on merit, so okay. that people could work hard get an education, save their money, go to homeschool, uh, learn, read Shakespeare, read books online and stuff like that, and read, uh, you know, the old King James Bible and just study and get good with words and English and stuff and take your... So you feel uh, like, I got to go to a break here, but Jonathan, you feel like uh, merit is what uh, brought you through uh, school and and allowed you to have uh, the life that you got? Yeah, so basically, yeah. Yeah, it was hard work. Okay. I got to go. I got to go to the break right now. Thank you, Jonathan, for your call on that. Merit is one of the big issues. How should we weigh merit? And what is merit? That's another good question here is that is merit just grades or is it also things that you have overcome or accomplished in life? What do you think? 888-528-2557, Asia, Asia and Rosie, I see your calls and others coming in. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Supremes, the Supremes, what we're listening to. The uh, Supreme Court, though, like I used to call I like to call the Supremes, ruled today against affirmative action, saying it cannot be used uh, for college admissions, or at least based on race alone. Um, but merit can be used, including merit that would be uh, where you could write in an essay, I overcame racism or I overcame discrimination, and here's why. And uh, a lot of people would say, well, that would be 
you know, individualistic merit. What do you think about merit? Should we, you know, what constitutes merit? And there's an interesting thing. When you look at Harvard, Harvard is a mess. So the case, of course, was brought by primarily uh, Asian uh, students in an organization because Asians, uh, and they won their argument that they were being penalized for being Asian when it came to college admissions. Um, But, you know, an interesting thing when you look at merit is how many of the students at Harvard are there for merit anyway? Did you know that 43% of the, the white students at Harvard, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, are admitted to Harvard University uh, either because of an athletic scholarship, uh, they're children of the faculty and staff, or on the dean's interest list, or their parents had donated to Harvard at one point, or they are what's called legacy students, meaning that their parents or grandparent went. And when you start to break down, uh, and about 70% of all legacy applicants are white, and when you start to break down Harvard's class of 2023 – where they only accepted 4.5% of applicants, a huge number of people, whether it be from legacy status or they're the children of people who work there. I mean, that'd be a pretty cool thing to do. It's like go get a job at Harvard and you're working there and your your kids get to go. How about that? Uh, They can't read, but they're in. Um, There is an awful lot of people going to schools where if you happen to graduate from that school, even if you're, uh, you know, you, you don't do very well, your chances of at least making a, a lot of money are significant. And all of those programs, and according to the Supremes today, including affirmative action, are discriminating against other kids who would have otherwise taken those spots uh, based on really hard work. How should we consider merit when we consider these things? 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Asia in L.A., welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor Scott. Thanks for um, letting me be on your line. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm actually Asian. Um, I'm Asian, actually half Chinese and half white. My, my, my father's story is one of those stories of merit. Like he got to this country actually from Christian missionaries during the war that um, helped him. And um, he's actually, you know, professed his Christ and his, his faith in Jesus. He actually got saved there as a teenager, and then subsequently later on went into seminary school, and then they gave him $500 and a boat ticket, and he got to America, and he worked as a busboy for nine years to go to, to go to University of Chicago. So he's, you know, he's one of those stories you don't hear a whole lot about anymore, but I just want to touch on a couple of things that I think are really important to consider. Yeah. One is, is that um, it, I do believe in merit. I believe that a school like that that is so ivy league and so high post so to speak everybody's application should go through merit everyone because it's a niche school they only you know it's almost like like you said if you go to school there your career is set even if you do bad so they should always be using a merit system there no matter who applies and i don't think it's ethical that staffs um children should be able to necessarily go or that people that donate money that their kids could go i mean i don't think that's ethical i think that's I don't, I just don't. That's just my opinion. Yeah, but it's one of the the questions that. today is how come the same people uh, who are upset about this are not going after that? Where that, you have a right. whole lot of people. It's mostly yeah. benefits white people, uh, actually, if yeah. you want to bring race into it. Uh, that's, a, it's actually an astounding number. Right. And I do think they should look at it also in terms of um, groups of people in this country based on numbers. 
and that, yes, we have much less African-American people here in this country than white people and Latino people, so to speak. And so they should get more spots. Right. I mean, I think it should be based a little. I mean, there should be something to do with that. The spirit of affirmative action is to make sure that people aren't being eliminated, either deliberately or just in the process of things because of race, people who are equally qualified. Right. Right. Exactly. So I think all of those are really crucial points. I also think like when you say when it goes back to early education and our education in general, our public education here, you know, I, I. I'm really passionate about that. I'm an educator. Um, We're an arts organization. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we we really, it's all of our jobs as people, as adults in this country to come alongside young people and help them, help them learn. There's alternative ways. There's mentorships. There's, um, there's apprenticeships. Like I'm 52 years old. We, the only reason that I think that my generation did pretty good is because we had regular people in the community that taught us things. They taught us skills and trades that were valuable that people got careers in. Maybe they weren't Ivy League things, but they were things like plumbing and carpentry and these skills that people went on to make money and have families and buy houses and all those things. And I think that there's a lot of things like that missing in, in our community these days where these young people come out of high school and they really don't have a clue. They haven't been yeah. really properly educated That's and right. they don't know what to do. And yeah. so it's like they're not even thinking about college because unless they're willing to live with their parents for the next four or five years, they're not going to be able to afford rent and go to college. So a lot of other alternative methods to getting young people trained in things and vocations. I mean, in California, we this is the um, the creative arts industry here. Our state gets the most money than any state for arts and for media and for film. And so there's something like one out of every four jobs is in one of those yeah. things. So we need to look at other op- options for people. But, yes, I do believe affirmative action is still really important. And, and also we got to touch on the idea of generational wealth. If we really truly care as Christians, as believers— about the less fortunate we have to have have ways where people that are historically less fortunate here to build up generational wealth for themselves and their communities yeah asia i want to go to the next call but i appreciate uh, your call thank you for calling in and you know part of uh part of that uh and i said in the last in the last segment that i think that one of the biggest maybe the biggest civil rights issue of our day probably of this century is education and Asia just said it, is that so many people are graduating and they're not educated, that we have come to this place where we graduate people, but that doesn't mean that we're educating people. That's why if you even go to college, you have to take so many remedial courses at huge amounts of money that they cost. Remedial is courses that you should have learned. You should have graduated with all of those skills. And it hurts people who, uh, like she said, uh, who don't have money or who are on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, which is what, you know, some people argue that we need to sort of remove race out of the conversation, even though it's part of it, and really focus on socioeconomic issues, because then you're not giving special benefits to very wealthy people who happen to not be white, but have had all the benefits of wealth. But you're focusing any anything else that you're doing to help people on people who really do have um, a disadvantage or who are in a situation that's much harder. 888-528-2557. We're responding to the Supreme Court's affirmative action ruling today. Rosie in Chino, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor Scott. I have um, I agree with Asia. So my situation is I am from uh, Mexico and. I didn't know anything about school. 
So now at my age, I have to go to college, but where do I start? I can't afford it because it's expensive. But I have a question going to high school, and I'm already like 93 graduate. Most of the people that graduated that go to these high end, they go on scholarships because they were good football players. Most of the people that I went to school with, they're all in jail. They have no education. So why would you, it's like a scale. If you're a good football player, you're a good cheerleader, I'm going to let you in. But you could be the most amazing student and you're not being let in. Like these people are getting picked. So it's kind of for us who are not well-educated but are very hard workers, we'll never be given that opportunity. And now at my age, it's a backfire because I don't have an education. I don't have a degree. But I'm going to tell you, I've been at one job for 19 years, and now I have a government job because of my background, but I still will never be qualified. Why? Because I have society against me. The only thing that I have going for me is I'm 100% Christian. So to me, I look at it like, you know what, Lord, you're returning soon. None of this matters. But do I want to still better my life in this country because I'm blessed? Yes. But now it's going to be a struggle for me because I still have been given an opportunity by God to be in this country where I can't. Is it harder for me? Yes. But a piece of paper doesn't qualify me. I would like to know if we take these football players' uh, brand or cheerleaders or who these people are, because most of them, as you could see, their parents are going to jail now because they've been paid. Okay, give me a resume. Give me letters of recommendation. Let's go on that. Let's go on that kind of merit. Yeah. What kind of citizen are you? Let me see your background. Because most of the people who were football players, cheerleaders, they were white. I'm Mexican. I'm the, I'm the low end. I couldn't even afford a $4 gift bag. Everything was hand-me-down. Everything was like, my mom couldn't even go to the thrift store, single mom. But I'm going to tell you something. She never went on the system. Mm-hmm. She worked three jobs. So I learned what it is to work hard yeah. to have the American dream. Yeah. To never beg for a gallon of milk. So for me, at 48, where do I stand? Do I deserve? And I look at it like this. If we do invest, if there's a little guy who has a citizenship award for being anti-bullying, how come we can't pour in that? But because he's not, and I can't say it's just white people. It's just racism it's- across the board. There is a, you know, we're, we're certainly not paying attention. You know, I got to go to a break in a minute, but a real quick question for you is, Rosie, is when you look back on your, your education in grade school and high school, do you feel like you got educated? It sounds like you feel like you didn't get educated there, that you came out of high school and you didn't feel like you really had a 12th grade education or what it ought to be. No, because, no, because it was never, it was like I was already in a boxing you're in the ghetto, even though I was raised in one of the richest countries. I graduated top 50 of my 300 class, but my GPA was like 1.5. But the system never said, well, I think there's a problem with her. Like, let's see how we can help her. Yeah. And that's where the system is failing. Like, we're not giving the right people the amazing education opportunity that everybody deserves, whether you're white, black, Mexican. It doesn't matter. But why aren't we pouring into the best citizens? And like, for example, you or somebody else, what's the difference? Because there's that, we have that that name. And so for me, I tell myself, you know what, Lord, if you give me the ability, yeah. let me point to people, the gifts that you've given me, but now let me, because I still believe that I could still become the greatest American, still having this story. Yeah. 
that Rosie, was a nobody to become a somebody. Rosie, I got to go to a break, but I appreciate your call and thank you for doing that. I think that's the right attitude is what can I do now to to pay back in? And I think, you know, Rosie, what, what she was just saying is I think making my point here is that the greatest civil rights issue we have is education. And that is um, it is a critical thing for so many different things for our country as a whole, for us as individuals, so many different things. Uh, i got to take a break. I'll take your calls. When we come back, number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show, Thursday edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. We're talking about the Supreme Court and affirmative action. And, you know, as we uh, talk about that, a little recap, uh, Supreme Court said that affirmative action cannot be used as a basis of college admissions, or at least a basis alone, meaning that it isn't, you don't get in or get preference because you checked a box. The suit was brought because people were not just getting preference, but also being penalized because they checked the wrong box. Uh, and uh, Harvard is definitely guilty of that uh, kind of thing. But it it's an interesting thing that we're discussing this in such a big way when it really affects a small number of people. And it's an issue. It's an issue in all of our schools. But I believe that the greatest civil rights issue of our time actually is education, starting from uh, preschool all the way up, you know, for sure, kindergarten through 12th grade, because we're graduating so many people who can't read, who if they even go to college, they have to take remedial courses at tremendous expense. Or even as uh, one of our last callers just said, uh, people graduate from high school and they don't know what to do because they haven't been trained. And our education system is off the rails in just in every data point. And this isn't to be critical. I know some of you out there are, I mean, critical of teachers who are working really hard. We have a lot of great teachers out there. And I know some of you listening, you you work really hard for your students. But there is a bureaucracy and there is a data set that is saying that cumulatively at the end of time, uh, at the end of 12th grade, we're not doing well and we're failing African-American and other people of color at the biggest rate, in a huge rate. And college isn't even an option. So the whole affirmative action for college admissions, you know, it's uh, people aren't even qualifying in. And I think it's horrific because something that we have seen in every culture throughout human history is that education is what breaks the cycle of poverty. Uh, education matters in all kinds of different issues. And this is a big deal. I think for the church, this is a place for us to to be involved. And whatever happens in the political world, you know, we can't control all of that. We should be out there voting. I think this should be the political issue. I think that the there's a bunch of political issues that are important. But as a nation moving forward with with so many people graduating who don't have some basic skills for reading and math and being able to write and those kinds of things and people who are lost in the system and uh, so many different problems we are as uh, winsome sears said in the clip earlier today um we're competing against china and other countries who are looking at world domination and they're educating their students they are not playing weird games with political correctness or or the different things that we're fighting about with sexual issues and other things that seem to engulf so much of our conversation. And they aren't dividing left and right over issues of education that people agree 
that people ought to be educated. And I think it is right for us to be concerned about that and especially concerned about people who are um, have who are poor or who are living in inner cities or who just have a system where the schools aren't going to be very good. And, and frankly, some of the schools aren't going to be very good because the funding is based on property tax. And you got to change that system. The system is not uh, benefiting uh, the bulk of students. And I think we also should reward students who work hard even through that system and have merit who can write. And the Supreme Court did say that uh, you can consider race in admissions when it is on an individualistic basis. So, for example, you say in your essay, hey, I overcame this discrimination and I overcame this part of the school system or I had these things that I had to deal with in my life. That is merit, actually. I think maybe your grades are a little less and you didn't do quite so well on the as well on the SAT, but your life experience matters a lot. I think that is something. Not everybody would agree with me on that, but I think that is something that schools ought to consider and employers ought to consider. You know, there's something about character of a person who overcomes, even though there's real disadvantages and even though there's other things. I think that matters. Wisdom is something that is needed here for the church. As I said at the beginning of the hour, we're not very good at talking with each other, even in the church, on these issues. We're very ignorant of what a lot of people are going through, even within Christians and different churches. You know, when was the last time your church got together with a church that does a worship style in a different way, uh, an ethnic different way, or that comes from a different socioeconomic neighborhood? Uh, and there are problems that go both ways. And I've found in my life in ministry is that churches tend to be almost ignorant of what's happening just a few miles away in a different kind of community. And that has to end. We have to come together. We're one church. You know, there's there's different congregations and different churches and different denominations, different ethnic churches. I think that that the gospel is something that maybe the way that the Lord is is doing this is he uses different experiences or different expressions of the gospel in ways to reach the most people. There may be some value in that. But at the end of the day, we're all going to sit at the same table. At the end of the day, there's not you know, 1,500 churches in uh, your community, there's one, and that's the Church of Jesus Christ. And we're brothers and sisters there. In the book of James, James chapter 3, uh, talks about wisdom. And James chapter 3, verse 13, says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know, in in a lot of this conversation, there's a whole lot of thought about ourselves, you know, and uh, I don't want to miss out on my piece of the pie or what about me or, you know, it's okay to benefit me if it harms this person. And that's part of this conversation. It's why it gets so difficult because it's unwise. But listen to this. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then it is peace loving. It is considerate. It is submissive. It is full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And, you know, this is a 
conversation that James is writing for the church. I think it's applicable for uh, a nation, but not everybody obviously is going to uh, follow what James has to say because they don't believe it. But for us as believers, we do. And we have to take a look at this. And it's something that whenever you have these conversations and you're thinking about this and we see so much conflict on the news and conflict between different groups and left and right, you know, wisdom that's going to come from the Lord is going to be pure. It's going to be something that is right. There is a wise path. There is a wise thing for us to do as churches in getting together. Uh, Peace-loving, considerate, submissive. We submit to each other in the body of Christ. Full of mercy. We have mercy for each other. People who disagree with us, people who are wrong, or and we hope to have mercy when we're wrong uh, in an argument of some kind. And good fruit. You know, there is going to be good wisdom with good fruit, impartial, insincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Um, I think that's really powerful, and that gives us a lot to think of um, during an argument like this. We're almost out of time, and uh, obviously we'll have more to talk about tomorrow's Open Line Friday. You can call and uh, share your thoughts about it, and uh, we need to have a lot more conversation about it. Uh, But I want you to take a look at our country today, take a look at the arguments that people are having, and ask God for wisdom, wisdom for our leaders, and they're lacking it, um, mostly. But pray for it, because the Bible says that uh, God will give uh, wisdom, James will say, you know, to the believer anyway, uh, wisdom without holding back. And then pray for wisdom for us. Pray for your pastor on this. I think churches need to get together. I think that, that the time of just having our own little congregations here and there and everywhere, and we don't interact and we don't know each other and we're ignorant of whatever kinds of suffering or blessing is going on with each other, that time has to end. And I think that a lot of the issues that we have with race and with civil rights, with just even divisions and getting along, I think that the church has an incredible power and opportunity to bridge those gaps But it does have to start with us, and it has to start with us getting together and listening to each other and loving each other and getting to know each other. And I actually think it's easier uh, than it sounds to do all of that. All right, lots more on that, but we're done for today. Thanks for listening to this Pastor Scott show. We're on every day, 3 to 5. We'll be back tomorrow, 3 to 5, open line Friday tomorrow. God bless everybody. Have a good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.